The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Hi, everybody. I am so happy to be talking with all of you again. I know we have a lot of regular listeners, and I love your comments. I love that you keep coming back and that you enjoy the show so much. Me too. I've been led to find some wonderful speakers, and we have two of them today, Rick and Beth Olson, who I will tell you about in just a minute. But as you know, I like to start the show with a little bit of magic from the spirit world each week. Just a short story for you. As I mentioned last week, my new Hemisync recording came out just a week ago today working with your spirit guides and I was chatting the other day you know this story if you if you follow my Facebook page with a gentleman about how to ask your guides for signs that the guidance and the insights they give us can be trusted and I said to this man ask your guides to give you a sign and many times they will put the sign in your head in your thoughts to ask for but you're going to think it's your sign make sure you ask for a sign that's something that's possible not something like say a pink elephant and so he understood the teaching and we ended our session and just the next day ty and i went for a bike ride with a local group and we were about an hour from home on a trail that uh, that we've seldom been on I'm riding along happily I look up and there across the street is a used car sales lot with a giant pink elephant in the parking lot full-size pink elephant and I just started laughing out loud. I didn't know why. And I stopped and I said, I have to get a picture of that and send it to that gentleman. And he appreciated that as much as I did. And I don't know about all of you, but I could just hear my guides laughing at that because they definitely knew I was going to see that and put that exact thought in my mind at that time. So just a little reassurance that we all have guides and they know what we're up to all the time. So as I said, I know I was guided to bring this couple on today. Uh, my dear friend Irene Vuvalides, who's the vice president of Helping Parents Heal, first told me about Rick and Beth Olson and their story. I got their book, We Never Left You, is the title, and was immediately drawn into it. I don't want to read a long biography to you. I'd rather just introduce Rick and Beth, and we'll start right out with their story. It's it's one that's going to be a little hard to hear at first because a lot of 
learning and growth comes from tragedy and theirs is a tragic story, but wait till you hear the hope and healing that they have to share with us. Rick and Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We're uh, happy and honored to be here. Thank you, Suzanne, for asking us. It is an honor. It's my pleasure. Why don't we just... Well, I'd like to start where you want to start, and that may or may not be with the, the, the moment, that time in your lives that changed your lives forever. You just, uh, you're familiar with talking about your story. Why don't you steer us in the direction you want to go? I think Rick was disconnected here. He's talking, and now you're not hearing him. Are you hearing him? I'm so sorry. I'm not hearing him, but um, he shows that he's on the line, so... I'm going to ask our engineer, Louie, to try to get Rick back. But meanwhile, Beth, oh. if you can talk for him. Oh, I think definitely. I can hear you now, Suzanne. Okay, very good. Can you? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for having us. Um, you know, we're always honored when we get a chance to talk and speak because uh, we know that we're here for a reason. Um Beth and I are in our mid-50s right now, and our story starts out in July of 1999. Um, we had just, we live in Wisconsin. We had just moved to a larger city or a suburb of a larger city uh, near Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we had been in that city for about a month, um, and we had a nine-year-old daughter and seven-year-old son, and Beth and I were in that town, and we, it was a Sunday afternoon. And we were going to make a journey to a local mall uh, to take care of a couple of errands. Um, I was gone most of the previous week. Beth was gone a couple days on the weekend. I was getting ready to be gone again. So we like to take care of a few things, and we were trying to also make things comfortable for our kids as we had only been in town for a month. Um, So we began to drive to, to the mall, and um, there are a couple of occurrences that took place that we'll come back to to tie a few things in together. But we got to a stop and go light and uh, we heard some uh, sirens. We were about the third car in line. And I looked, uh, we were looking around to try and see what was going on. And we noticed a police car coming towards us from the opposite direction. He made a turn at the intersection. Uh, began to head in a different direction. The light turned green. The cars in front of us went. I waited a couple of seconds. I pulled out into the intersection, and the next thing that I can remember was a somebody speaking behind me saying, you know, don't move, you've been in an accident. Uh, you've had mm-hmm. a car accident. We're not sure if you're injured or not, so just don't move. So what had happened was a drunk driver that was beginning to flee from the police was traveling about 80 miles an hour and he ran through the red light and broadsided our minivan that we were in. Uh, I was knocked unconscious. Beth was not unconscious, but our nine-year-old daughter and seven-year-old son were killed in the accident. Our seven-year-old son was killed immediately. Our nine-year-old daughter was thrown halfway out the window. Hmm. Now we're going to be, we don't want to be, we have to be a little bit graphic about this because of the events that occurred. So I apologize that ahead of time for people, but 
she was hanging out the car window. And uh, at this point, I'm going to let Beth kind of take over from her side of the story because we kind of do this as we go through our stories and also through the book for our different Mm -hmm. experiences because I was still unconscious at this point as she was beginning to deal with this at the accident scene. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yes, we saw the police officer and Rick was like, I wonder what I should do. And so he did just wait. And um, and then as he pulled through the intersection, um, there was this just loud noise. It, and we spun, our car spun. And I turned around um, to say to my children and look at my children, what was that noise? And that is when I saw that Joshua was gone. Um, and Jessica was half out the window. And I could hear Rick moaning um, and I looked down at my body, and I didn't have anything wrong with me. I was perfectly fine. I did have one little scratch on my leg, and I instantly got into mom mode, like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? And I jump out of the car, and I'm thinking, oh, my, this is my worst nightmare. So my first yeah. thought is to wake up. I have to wake up. This has got to be a nightmare. And, well, that didn't happen, of course. So my next thought was I need a doctor. I need a doctor to help my children. And this gentleman came up to my left side and he put his arm, his hand on my shoulder and he said, I am a doctor and so is Mm. my wife. And we happened to be in this intersection and we saw what happened. What can we do? And I said, can you help me get my daughter out? She needs help. She needs medical attention. And so then many, many more things come to your brain, like as they're taking care of her and I have to, I can see my son is gone. You know, I, I go over to my husband and I start talking to him. I see he's being taken care of, you know, and and so I feel in so many ways it started like, almost like I felt like I was in a cyclone, like a whirlwind and because it was just so chaotic. Um, It was, of course, like I said, my worst nightmare happening before my eyes. So I started mm-hmm. asking for things, for God. I was like, please get us a helicopter. We're going to need help here. You know, so within five minutes, I heard a helicopter overhead. Um, I saw, of course, a newspaper, re- somebody taking pictures. And I thought, what in the hell are you doing? You know, and so yeah. all of these things were so so unreal to me. You know, it was you're so raw. I mean, you're just so vulnerable and you can't do anything. I was so... I felt like I was so useless because I couldn't do anything. So I went over to help my daughter. I could hear the doctors talking. It did not sound good. So um, we did get to, we got Jessica in an ambulance and we did take her to an am, uh, to a hospital, a local hospital. And um, there we, I just let them do their, try to do their magic, try to save her. Mm-hmm. I had to leave Josh in the accident scene, um, and Rick was being taken care of. Rick, do you want to tell your next part? or? Sure. So the it took them a while to get me out of the vehicle because they wanted to make sure that I didn't have any, you know, neck or spinal injuries. And they got me out of the vehicle, got me in the ambulance, and said, well, where do you want to go? I said, <laughs> well, I want to go where my family was. And there's like, well, where is, and they asked me, where's that? I said, well, how am I supposed to know that? I was in the That's a crazy question. And they took, so they finally figured out where to send us. And then as we get there, um, I was not 
that severely injured, so they had me in a curtained room in the emergency room, and all of a sudden I begin to hear in the curtain room next to me, why am I here? Somebody's yelling. I didn't do anything wrong. Let me go. I don't need to be here. Uh, turns out that they didn't realize it, but they put the man, the drunk driver that just killed my children into the cubicle next to me. Wow. Um, and then as I'm laying there, a doctor comes in and says, uh, I'm sorry for your loss. And they said, I know Josh didn't make it. And he uh, swore and turned around and walked out. And then uh, Beth came back in. And Beth uh, said that. Go ahead. I believe he was just referring to Jessica. He had no idea we had leave Joshua back in the accident scene. So I came into Rick's room and I said, we have to decide if we should let Jessica go. I said, I can't do this alone. And so Rick was like, okay, I'm done. He's like, get these IVs out of me. Let's go. Let's go say goodbye to our daughter. And so that's what mm-hmm. we had to do. Had to let her go. So we always start, when we do, when we talk about our experiences that we went through, we always start out to set the stage like that to, so people, those that haven't gone through it, can get a sense for the shock and what happened and the occurrences. And then as we begin to go forward today and as and talk about our journey, one of the things that we began to realize over the next couple of weeks and couple of months is that we began to suspect, at least I did, and Beth eventually came to that as well, is that there was a series of events that led up to this and a series of events that occurred during that time that led us to believe that possibly this happened for a reason. I mean, when we go back and look at everything that lined up for that accident scene, the fact that we left at the time that we did, the fact that Beth really didn't want to go, but she you know, decided at the last that, yeah, we should do this. Um, she had a spot on her shirt and we were trying to decide if we should turn around and go back so she could change her shirt. She said no. Uh, The fact that I waited at the stop and go lights for just a couple of seconds after the rest of the cars went through. The police officer that went through the intersection saw the accident occur in his rearview mirror and was able to turn around immediately. Uh, The gentleman that was holding my neck in the car was an off-duty police officer that happened to be walking by the intersection when the accident happened. The husband and wife doctor that helped uh, Beth was actually in a car on the other side of the intersection and saw the accident take place. Um, The Flight for Life helicopter was already in the air and they rerouted it to our scene. There was another ambulance that was already on the way to a different accident. They rerouted it to us. So there's this whole series of events. The fact that Beth and I actually survived when the reconstructionists looked at that accident, they said, you two should not be alive. Um, he hit our car at 80 miles an hour, and he was airborne when he hit our car. He hit right behind the driver's seat. Hmm. Uh, so this began this process for us, and then we began to get signs from our kids because at this point, obviously, we weren't aware of it. Didn't know about it, but we were trying to understand, trying to search, trying to go forward. 
And we were when you say you weren't aware of it, do you mean an afterlife? We Correct. weren't sure where our kids were at this point. Um, you know, we Beth was brought up strong Catholic. Um, I had mixed views on religion, so Beth was right away concerned whether our kids were okay, where were they, what was going on with I, them. Being that I am a strong Catholic, I did I believe in um, the church and their rules, but I didn't have my our children baptized. I believed I wanted we wanted to let them become adults and then us go to different churches and see where we wanted to go as a and start as a congregation as a family and join that congregation. So right away, I thought, are my children in purgatory? Are where the are my children? And so I always say. Until something happens, your your faith is really what gets you through it because it's like, what do I believe? You know, I'm like, my faith, I think, could belong on a library card at that time of my spiritual faith. You know, mm-hmm. I had my Catholic faith, but what was my spiritual faith? And I was um, pretty much lost at that time. I was 34 at the time. Um, Rick was 36. And so I think we were just becoming this very strong family of course, soccer, Girl Scout, brownies, all of that stuff. But yet, spiritually, you know, what did we believe? So we were really lost. We didn't know what was going on. Now, I've just, I read your book a few months ago, and I was just reviewing it today, of course, getting ready for the show. And I I just smiled when I read about the way the funeral home director met you. Was that your first sign or was there something before that? That let you nope, that sh- started to shift your thinking that maybe these kids aren't in purgatory that they're okay. That was actually the next thing I was going to talk about because that is our first sign that we got that our kids were okay. Um, you know, the accident happened on Sunday and the funeral was on Thursday, and we were getting ready to meet the funeral director, and we walked into the funeral parlor, and you know, there was nobody in there, and it kind of the 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 funeral parlor kind of matched our mood. It was kind of dark in there. It was dreary. There wasn't anybody around. We were kind of lost, and we were, you know, asking, hello, hello. Finally, somebody comes up, and we told him why we were there, and he went to get the funeral director. His name was Jim, and we're kind of waiting, and he comes walking up with a big smile on his face, and my first thought was, how can you be smiling in a place like this? And he says to us, he says, that Josh, he says, he won't let me do my work. He says, he keeps turning my radio, changing my radio station, turning things on and off, turning the lights on and off. Can you tell him to knock it off so I can get my work done? Wow. And wow. We that must have really like, thrown you for a loop. It did. We, we didn't know what he was talking about at first. And then as we chatted for a little bit, we began to get this idea that our kids maybe aren't gone. Our kids maybe are just someplace else. And he was our first door to open to the idea that our kids could be someplace else. He was a, he was a real gift to you. I've never heard of a funeral director speaking about the afterlife like that. So what the fact that he was open to that and could open your minds to that is tremendous. Now, we're going to be talking a lot in the second half about the, the healing journey, literally the healing journey that you went on. But I would like to... In- and just dive right into the story in your book that just, to me, that just 
oh, I said, I have to talk to these people. And that's the one where they ask if your daughter liked fried chicken. If, if you could tell that bit, that whole story, we have like seven minutes till the break. It, I, it will just give so much hope to everybody who's listening. Okay. How about if I tell it, Rick? So yep. that weekend that they died, they died on Sunday. I was gone at an American Girl doll sale. My Jessica loved the dolls. Um, and as I came home, I was bringing in all of the items that I had purchased, many for Jessica and, of course, for my nieces. So I was putting them in the bed, on this bed. Could, could I interrupt aisle. just a second? Because yes. I know, for one, my husband Ty is listening, and he won't know what American Girl is. Oh, well, American Girl is a company here in Wisconsin, Middleton, Wisconsin, and they uh, make dolls historical dolls they put books with them they're about 18 inch dolls and they also make clothing and beds and uh, different accessories that go with the stories so one of uh, Jessica's favorite dolls her name was Josefina it's a Mexican doll and um, one of the items that I had purchased for my niece was this little basket and it had a chicken in it and so I looked at, at it, and I was thinking, you know what, Jessica loves Josefina. Maybe she would love this. So I asked Josh, I said, do you think Jessica would like this chicken in the basket? And he said, I think she would. So the chicken in the basket went in Jessica's pile on the bed, and we left for the mall. And an hour later, my children are dead. Mm-hmm. So now go forward to... We just, um, on Wednesday, we met with Jim, but then now on Thursday morning, Thursday is the funeral, and Thursday morning, we met with my friend in West Bend, who is a medium, and she's just fabulous, well, and she agreed to see us, and we sat there for about an hour talking, and at the very end, she says, we're just about ready to leave, we actually stood up, and she said, wait a minute, the kids are here. And then she, we sat down really excited, and yes. she says, no, no, it's just Jessica. Josh is at Great America, and that is an amusement park in um, <laughs> Illinois. It's like a, um, a bunch of roller coasters. That was his favorite spot. Oh. And she said, you know, in the spirit world, there are no lines. And <laughs> so we were laughing. <laughs> okay. And then she says, Jessica, she looks at us, and she says, did Jessica like fried chicken? And I said, actually, I don't know. I've never made fried chicken. And she said, and she keeps tilting her head, just listening. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes, well, okay. She she's definitely saying she's saying she wants the chicken in the basket. Oh gosh. And then she and I and of course now you have to understand that was Sunday. That conversation with Josh was Sunday. Now this is Thursday. A lot happened, and I'm like trying to think, what is she talking about? We were thinking maybe it was the chicken and biscuit crackers. Um, and um, we just were just dumbfounded. And finally it dawned on me because Kathy kept saying, no, she wants the chicken in the basket. Now I'm going to cry. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, you guys. And I had to explain to them the whole story about telling, asking Josh if he thought Jessica would like the chicken in the basket. And he said she would. And there was Jessica. You know, only five days later telling us, you know, she wants the chicken in the basket. My kids were alive. And, and together. Just, <laughs> and they were together. They were both together. They weren't in this purgatory. They were they were okay. It was just lovely. It just it saved us. 
And so that's just, how we have It's just over-the-top, wonderful evidence. I mean, what what better thing? I mean, your friend, the medium, and this is before the funeral, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and I love how you both agreed not to mention this to anybody at the funeral, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was going to be our little secret. But then we could see that um, everybody was really just hurt. I mean, you walk into the funeral and, and the, our kids were in one coffin. They always were together, so we put them in one coffin. Um, and it was just uh, hell, basically. I think the a lot of people were like, where is God? Where is spirit? And so we started sharing it with our family. And it's not like it took the pain away, but it gave everybody something to think about. I think everybody's faith was really rocked that day. And, and the, the, uh, the way you describe it in the book is you, you told it to like one person, right? And then didn't you notice that everybody's just kind of whispering to each other and talking to each other? And you could tell that the story that you weren't going to share is getting around? Definitely. Yeah. In fact, I was a little upset at first because I'm like, you know, I just felt like it was such a special gift and it was just being given away. And then I looked at Rick and I'm like, you know what? This isn't just for us. This is for the world. You know, and I knew at yeah. that moment, we were going to write a book, but it'd take us 14 years, 15 years later, but I didn't know that long, but I knew that the world needed to have this ultimate proof there is life after death. I, it's just occurred to me to ask the question, but what did you do with that chicken in a basket? Um, we had a friend who also was shopping with me. I called her instantly and she brought one because she had bought one as well because they were discounted. Um, and we put it in the coffin. Oh. And since then, I've bought six or eight of them just so <laughs> I have them for my children. I have them in the house. <laughs> yeah, I knew you had yeah. to have one somewhere that you see it all the time. It's just that constant right. reminder. And the, the on the back of the book, we took a picture of the chicken in the basket, and it's, it's on the back of the book as well. Yeah, I remember looking at that yeah. and saying, now, why is that there? And then when you read the story, it's just... Oh, my gosh, to, to have her. This was going to be her Christmas present, right? It was. It was just going to be one. I had spent a lot of money that day, and it was a good sale. And, yeah, so it is the present now to the world. If you need proof that there, if there's life after death, how can you get any better than that? Yeah. And I love that being a medium myself, that your your friend, the medium, didn't stop with, does she like fried chicken? And then you just end it there. This is why you, you have to dig deep and say, why are they showing this to us? Mm -hmm. I know. And I'm so, glad I remembered. It took me a while, but... Yeah, oh, yeah, you would have figured that out. They would have made sure. They would have put yeah. that thought in your head. So we are talking today with Rick and Beth Olson, a very tragic story about their two children who passed in a drunk driving accident. But as you can see, a lot of hope once they found out that their children are still right here. And we're going to talk a lot about the more signs from them and then the change that it caused in Rick and Beth's lives, especially the healing work they're doing now. So we will see you after a short break and continue talking with Rick and Beth. listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. <laughs> 
When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Experience wellness through the ancient art of sound healing with Terry Wilder. Terry is a professional gong master, singer, and performer who uses sound to activate our body's ability to heal at a cellular level. Listening to Terry's mystical gong meditations will enable you to relax and release emotions, fears, and anxieties that have been causing illnesses or blockages in your body. No previous meditation experience is required. Just relax and let the gong do the rest. Visit terrywilder.com to find out more. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Expand your mind and open yourself up to new ideas with Janet Connor and the Soul Directed Life every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Janet talks with some of the leading voices in the world of mind, body, and spirit. Each week, you'll hear fascinating stories, practical information, and ideas to inspire you to follow your soul's calling. Janet is right there with you on the journey. Listen live or on demand here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Welcome back indeed. Today we're talking with Rick and Beth Olson. They're sharing their story of hope and healing after the, the passing of their two children and the ultimate proof of life after death that they received and the healing work that they do now. Their website, by the way, is weneverleftyou.com. That's also the name of their book, We Never Left You. I really recommend you run out and get that book. Find it on Amazon. Get it on Kindle. It's a wonderful, wonderful read. 
And so let's keep talking to Rick and Beth. You tell me that you had other signs after the beautiful chicken in a basket story and the funeral director telling you that your son was playing with his electronics. Um, yes. In fact, we got another one as we were still at the uh, visiting with our friend, the medium. She said, oh, the kids tell me they have a message for you in the car when you go outside. So we went outside and we got in the truck and we're both sitting in the truck looking around and, you know, anticipating and waiting. And we're like, well, what's the sign? What is it? We're looking around and nothing's happening. So we're slightly disappointed. So we uh, start up the truck and there's a song that came up on the radio. And at that time, one of the popular movies was Tarzan. It was an animated, the animated version of the movie. It was the last movie we saw together as a family, and it was one of the kids' favorites. And the song that came on the radio was from that movie, and it was called Two Worlds, One Family. Oh, man. So you guys are giving me song. goosebumps galore on this show. I hope everybody else who's <laughs> listening is getting them, too. So we began to feel and understand that, you know, there was a reason for this happening, and our kids weren't gone. Um, but we were also dealing with the mundane of trying to help the grief and do what we could with that. And we tried many different traditional routes of healing and they just weren't working. And we had a friend of ours that was beginning, that was a counselor, um, but she was beginning to do some energy work and she suggested that, um, you know, there was a gentleman she was doing some training with and he was having a seminar over the weekend in Utah and he suggested that maybe we should go there. So. We went to Utah for a weekend, and it was uh, shamanic-based, and it was uh, beginning to understand some of the principles of energy healing. And as we got there, I talked to him and explained to him what had happened to Beth and I, and he asked how long ago that it happened, and I said six months ago, and he said, well, you're not going to work with each other. I said, you need to work with you know myself or my assistant. So at one of the points, um, he asked Beth if he could use her as a demonstration model for something he was going to do. And he demonstrated a healing technique on Beth. And when he was done with that, you know, he talked to explain to the class what he did. But he also mentioned to Beth and I that he wanted to talk to us after the weekend was done, before we went home. And when we sat down to talk to him, he said, um, he said, I want you to, to know that your kids came to me during the process of your healing, Beth. He said, but they're not kids. He said, they came to me, they were very tall, very strong spirits. They were eight or nine feet tall. He said, they're very powerful. They've been, they have been around for a long time. They want to me to understand or to help you guys understand that um, this did happen. And then he turned and looked at me and said, Rick, you were knocked unconscious during the accident, weren't you? And I said, uh, yes, I was, but we hadn't told him that. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, well, you have been a shaman in many lifetimes before. And he said, the reason why you were knocked unconscious is because you have crossed that bridge over through your shamanic trainings in the past to help people make that transition. And you were unconscious to be available to help the kids cross over. He said, the kids told me it's time for you to start again. You need to become a shaman again. Um, now, he what, said, what kind of fact, work were you doing to that point, Rick? Um, I was working in the insurance and financial services industry. 
So I'm picturing so this guy with a, you know, a collared shirt, maybe a tie once in a while, and somebody's telling you you're going to be a shaman. Yes. So um, we weren't quite so sure about that at first, but uh, this was in 1999, and he was uh, having a group of people go down to Peru for the turn of the century. Um, and he invited us to go with. Um, it was a small group, about 15 or 20 people. And um, at that point, we had kind of decided that we were getting, we were kind of fed up with everything we were dealing with between the courts and the newspapers and media and um, our families. And we said, you know what, it's going to be the turn of the century. And for those of you that remember, nobody really knew what was going to happen at that point if the computers were all going to shut down and the world was going to stop functioning. Yep. We thought, what a better place to be if the world's going to stop functioning than in a third world country where they don't really <laughs> care about computers anyways. So Perfect. we decided to go to Peru for um, Christmas and New Year's in the turn of the century. And I just have to remark that I've heard so many stories of people who, who make these huge life changes when somebody passes because you just suddenly, all of your patterns and your habits just don't matter anymore. People who are fundamentalist religion-wise suddenly will go to a medium, and here you are very straight-laced and living in the Midwest, and you're going to go to Peru to talk to shamans. And, and it's just the passing of a loved one that makes us say, well, why not, right? Right. Well, and I, I always I wanna... talk about our world ended that day. You know, it just stopped, and yet the world didn't stop with us. So we needed to, in, in some ways, when we went to Peru, I felt like it was stopping for us. It was slowing down. And yeah, and, you know, Beth, us. you wrote in your book, We Never Left You, you wrote, you looked out at people going to work and driving their cars, and you're thinking, how can they be living these normal lives when our life is shattered? And I understand mm. that. Yeah. One of the things that this gentleman, his name is Alberto, told Beth was, Beth, you need to start to find beauty again. And Beth basically told him, I'm never going to, um, expletive word, find beauty ever again. Um, and one of the things that we did when we were down in Peru is we went uh, by boat to a uh, preserve Um a mammal animal preserve for mammals um, and there was sea lions and penguins and dolphins around and it was this bright blue water and it was warm and all of a sudden Beth looks around and says oh this is so beautiful huh. and that was the first time that she was able to see beauty again after the passing of the kids and that was six seven months afterwards mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I want to give hope to everybody here because you, you do talk in the book about the, how you gave each other strength. And I don't want to get off topic here, but how you, you just said, I can't go on. And Rick, you helped her go. Can you live five minutes and three minutes, two minutes, one minute? Yeah. And you just breathe together. So for those of you who might be feeling hopeless right now, uh, Rick and Beth Olson are just beautiful models of that. So would you continue your story in Peru for us? Sure. Um, we were fortunate enough to not only be introduced to a lot of the native shamans down there and, and, but, you know, see the culture, see the people and get some wonderful experiences. And one of the things that we did several times is we did ceremonies, um, with the native uh, shamans that were down there. And one of them we did was on the, uh, desert and the Nazca on the Nazca lines, uh, in the middle of the night. 
we were doing a ceremony of walking through one of the hieroglyphs that is out on the Nazca, on the desert on the Nazca lines, and it's basically a spiral. You walk the spiral, it spirals in, turns in upon itself, and then you follow a different path, but still a spiral back out. And as we were, as I walked through that path, I could feel um, these energies and spirits almost being pulled off of me as I walked through the path on my way in and then as you get to the center where it turns and begins its journey out it's like you step through a door or a, or a, a um it's a release that took place like a rubber band comes off of you and you begin to walk out and you feel lighter and everything started to get brighter um but what we also noticed I so I made my way out and what we noticed the next day was that um my hair turned uh, white basically turned gray turned and grayish whitish uh, after that ceremony in the process of walking through there it was darker colored on the way in and then the next day it was very light colored did it ever i've seen your picture on your website we never left you.com has it and it's gray it's white has it did it ever change yep. back or that's just remained that way nope it remained that way wow it remained that way so we um we had a wonderful time in peru and decided to continue with this gentleman because it, for us, it was the first time that we felt comfortable being with people who were in touch with spirit and with spirituality, who weren't afraid to talk about it. These people believed that there was something after death, believed that there was people that were out there, your children, your loved ones, don't just die, they don't, they live on. They pass on and they're available to help. So. For us, it was a wonderful way to transition into these new thoughts and to be able to find a way to communicate with our children. So we, he asked us to continue with the training classes with him, um, and we did. And so in February, we went out to California, and um, we were working to learn how to go through the shamanic healing techniques. And one of the nights we were out there, we were learning how to sense energies on people, and it was late in the evening. I was had my hands over somebody. I was trying to sense energies on them, and all of a sudden I felt this rush of energy come in, and I pulled back, and the next thing I remember is Alberto saying, Rick, you have to get up. You have to move. You have to get that energy out of your body. And I'll let uh, Beth tell her side. Yeah. Let, I will tell because, I again, now I'm able to, it's kind of neat how we can share the story because we both have uh, different little aspects of it. So as we were sensing, I was sitting right next to Rick, and we were sensing energies on this gentleman on the floor who was laying on the floor. I looked, there was a window behind him, you know, on the wall, and I saw this bright light in the window. And I thought instantly it must be a thunderstorm in California outside and then my mm-hmm. next thought well we're in california it doesn't rain in california i'm so used to wisconsin having lightning and thunderstorms but it was a bright light a flash of light outside well that is what then entered the room and struck rick so the um alberto came over and was trying to get rick to stand up but rick he was just breathing his eyes were closed and he just was sweating profusely and he wasn't really coherent but he was okay he never like fell over 
And Alberto just kept saying, Rick, you need to stand up. You need to get that energy moving through your body. He said, spirit was here. Spirit wanted you and spirit entered you. So you need to stand up. Now, Rick is a fourth degree in Taekwondo. So he said, Rick, stand up and start doing your basic Taekwondo form. And so after about five minutes, Rick could stand up. He kept his eyes closed and he just kept doing his basic form. And do you want to tell more then, Rick? Well, the the room was lit by the old-fashioned track lighting, and as this whole process is taking place, there's one light that starts to blink, and then another one starts to blink, and then eventually, as I'm beginning to do this movement in these forms, all of the track lights are blinking off and on in the room um, at that time. And as I'm doing these movements, I can just feel these waves of energy rolling off of me um, continuously, and... Uh, I was still a little unsteady, wasn't quite sure what was going on. Um, But then Alberto told me to go outside and to ground some of this energy into the earth. You have to continue to let it pass through because if you don't get it through your body, it's going to settle in your joints and it will cripple you. So I went outside and I was able to continue to ground that energy um, through me and then you know, he we talked a little bit later in the evening. And he asked me if I knew what happened. I said, I had no idea what happened. Um, he said, well, we'll talk about it in the morning. He said, for now, just go, you know, go get some rest. And Beth and I were staying in a cabin. We had a cabin to ourselves out there. And um, Beth was actually pregnant at that time. Um, we were one of the things that I'm going to backtrack here for just a moment. One of the other signs that we had gotten about these things happened for a reason is a couple of weeks. Well, Beth, you want to talk about that with the pills? Well, about, yes, right after the accident, we're going way back to July now. Um, Of course, I have a cycle and I have just, your life continues on even though your children died. And so um, after my, my, cycle, I looked at Rick and I had my birth control pills in my hand and I'm like, why are we trying to control this world? This simple little birth control is, I mean, I have, I had a van, I had the kids seat belted, I couldn't keep them safe. And why are we trying to control this world? And Rick's like, you know what, we need to heal, just keep taking them. So I took them for about a week of birth control pills. And then one morning I woke up and I mentioned to Rick I had a dream. And now this happens quite often. I dream of spirit quite often. And Rick actually said, I had a dream as well. And I'm like, you never dream. You never remember. And he goes, but I, I remember this one. And we both had the same dream. The dream was you have to, have, you have to get rid of that chemical in your body. They said, you both had the same dream. Wow. Correct. Yes. And they said chemical. They didn't say birth control pills. The chemical has to be out of your body. So I threw the birth control pills away. And part of our healing, um, we went to Jim, the funeral director, allowed us to use his home in uh, Colorado. And so in Colorado, that was August, I got pregnant. That was another big miracle, a big, big miracle. Wow. So so within... Less than six weeks, Beth ends up being pregnant. Within six weeks of the accident, Beth ends up being pregnant. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And she was actually pregnant through the trip to Peru. And now we're in February 
after the accident and we're in California and you know this this lightning hitting us the spiritual lightning hitting me just happened and we are go back to the cabin and I begin to start a fire in there and I'm just am full of energy and I keep stoking the fire and Beth is, says would you knock it off she said it's way too hot in here I'm sweating and then as we tried to go to sleep, she couldn't face me because she kept getting nauseous for the energy that was coming off of me. So she said, go outside, get away. <laughs> so I went outside. Poor Rick. I went outside. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm a good husband. I listen to my wife. So I walked oh, outside. Good. Um, and as I got outside, it was like, I was completely energized, but I was also, I could feel I was in touch. I was in, in tune with what was going on. I could sense the animals around. I could hear things in the forest you couldn't normally hear. I could feel the energy of the earth, of the trees, of the animals that were around and the connections that were there. Um, and so I didn't get much sleep that night. And then the next day, Alberto asked me if I knew what happened. And I said, I still don't. And he said, well, he said, there's one of three ways that shamans are traditionally called to service and um you know one of them is to uh have a serious or severe illness terminal illness and end up healing yourself the second one is to go through a great tragedy in your life and find a way to heal from it and the third is to be struck by lightning um he said you have just been called he said that was the spirit of lightning that wanted you and it came into the room and touched you and then two days later, it happened again. You know, those of you who are listening, who've read my book, Wolf's Message, I hope you've noticed some of the similarities here with Wolf and, and my stepdaughter, Susan, being struck by lightning. And, and Rick, you're struck by this spiritual lightning. You went to Peru, and what struck me reading your book is this picture of pregnant Beth sitting on the Pachamama rock. If you've read the book, you know that Pachamama is huge in Wolf's Message, as were dolphins and labyrinths and spirals. When I read your book, I thought, something's going on here with this connection, and I knew I had to talk with you. So we have just about seven minutes left. The time goes way too fast. Can you tell us how that changed things for you, that that struck by spiritual lightning, what that did for your healing path? Are you a shaman now? Um, yes, I have continued on the path since then and am, am a shaman at this point. And what Beth and I have come to realize is that um, this whole the accident with our kids happened for a reason. Um, the kids put us in a position to be able to help other people, and we have uh, been doing that. We were, we'll talk with families and parents of those that have lost children just so they have somebody to relate to. We've spoken at seminars. Um, we've run seminars. We have run grief groups. Um, from the healing standpoint, I do shamanic healings to help people not only with loss of children, um, but also from an energetic standpoint, there are many things that people can be helped with um, that conventional medicine um, cannot touch or um, doesn't have a way to solve or to help people with. Um, and I am always in awe of the things that happen and the changes that take place when we go through these healing processes of these shamanic um, healing sessions that we have that we can conduct for people. Um, they are uh, literally life-changing for some people, and they'll come back to us and say, I am a different person. 
after this because you're working at the level of energy. Um, everything is made of energy, and if you can work at that level of energy, you can make shifts happen and clear out baggage and clear out injuries and trauma from lifetimes ago that are still affecting you. And it's I'm I continue to tell Beth I'm in awe of what happens in these sessions, and you know not only that's the work that I do, but Beth is constantly reaching out and talking to people. She has a Facebook page that's dedicated to loss and the signs that we get. I guess that's how do the we how do we find that page? Well, that page is Which called is We it? Never Left You. It is a private group, so you just go mm-hmm. under groups on Facebook and you find We Never Left You, and you ask to join. Okay. And of course, I I usually accept everybody. (laughs) One of the things that we always try and get the point, the point that we want to try and get across to people is the idea of signs and hope that even though your loved one is no longer here, it doesn't mean that they're gone. Um, It's just like they've moved to the other side of the world and you can't really connect with them directly anymore. You just have to learn to communicate with them in a different way. And if you continue to look, they will reach out to you with signs. And now, you know, we may I interrupt you a second, Rick? Because I just did a workshop sure at the Afterlife Conference in Orlando, and I had a, a mother who has a child on the other side say to me, that, in tears, my son passed three years ago, and I haven't had a sign from him, and I haven't heard from him. And I know what I told her, but you also deal with this, and I'd love everybody to hear both of your perspectives on that. What would you say to that mother? Well, you when somebody when you see something, you have a choice. Is it a coincidence or is it a sign? If you continue yeah. to believe that it's just a coincidence and there's nothing to it, there's no hope for you at all. But if you begin to entertain the possibility that what if that is a sign, then that begins to open up the door to the idea that that is possibly that's a sign. And if that is a sign, that means that my loved ones have not are not gone. They are still available. They're willing to try and communicate with me. And the more you look for those signs, the more they begin to occur. And not just little coincidences. They become big things. Yes, yes they do. A lot of times, too, I tell people, visit visit a medium. Call a medium. I always think that is one, you know, Suzanne, you know, they should call you. I, because that will give them that that opening, that that bridge to their child, and that helps them a lot as well. Well, thank you for that plug, but I'm unfortunately my waiting list is pretty darn long, but the Helping Parents <laughs> Heal website, even if you don't have a child on the other side, is a wonderful place to begin with their list of providers. But uh, mm-hmm. as we have just a couple minutes here, I I read in your book where you, you know, you were in the beginning of this journey, and I think it was you, Beth, you said, I was sure that I would never be happy again. Were you wrong? Right. I was wrong. I am so happy. I am so blessed. Uh, life has taken over. We have three children um, since the accident. Um, and they can, you, can, you should look at their beautiful family pictures on their, on their website, weneverleftyou.com. And I even put a couple just before the show started on my Facebook page because you, just, you can see your happiness. Uh, yeah, and, and I can't, uh, when I think about my life now, I can't stop smiling. So as difficult and as much as I wanted to end my life, I mean, like Rick said, the accident reconstructionist said we should have died. And yes, I wish like I had died 
many, many times. I cannot tell you how many times I thought about taking my life. But then I was pregnant with Gabriel. So my son in many ways saved me because I just thought I can't do that. I, you know, I'm pregnant. Um, but I'm glad I went on. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so blessed that we are put now to help others. My heart just gets more full with more the more people I meet and the love that we get from others and the love that we can, you know, help them. That is ultimately what it's all about. It yeah. Is. When you find you can't, you don't have any love to give, just let others give it to you. And then pretty soon you're giving it back out. With just uh, about 30 seconds to go, either one of you have any final words for our listeners? There is another possibility for people, even though when the loss occurs, they can't necessarily see it. As you begin to open up to the possibilities that your loved ones are not gone, it helps that process for healing. It helps you to also understand Absolutely. And I thank both of you for, for sharing your story of hope, your beautiful chicken in a basket story that I hope folks mm. listening will never forget and begin to look for their own signs. Thank you, Rick and Beth. We never left you dot com. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.